0: Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Safari Zoo News, your weekly look at the news in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal stuff to use the technical, scientific term. I am really excited to have you all here. Uh, this is the season two finale of Safari Zoo News. Uh, as I mentioned in Tuesday's episode, in case you haven't heard it yet, this is the end of this season, but we will not be doing a season break. Uh, I'm only doing this so that we have a definitive line between each year of Safari, which also means that we are starting the third year of Safari after this episode. I. Cannot wrap my head around that. That is really cool. I am really excited about that. Um, Oh, hello, Paradiddle. Oh, gosh, Perry. Perry just tried to rip my headphones off because she loves me so much, question mark. Anyway, um, yeah, so I'm going to put out a little bonus episode about what to expect in season three, but... um, Honestly, not a lot is going to change, but it's worth checking out, and uh, yeah, I'll do that separately so we won't talk about that now. Uh, I do want to point out that this is still National Zookeeper Week, which is obviously a great week, and I initially released the podcast during that because, you know, we're here to celebrate zookeepers and other animal care professionals, and uh, I'm just really excited that they get a week and that it's, um, you know, spent celebrating those people, It's kind of funny, though, because I keep watching uh, various other people who do animal things like our friend Jungle Jordan and um, and even some of the zoos themselves just like putting out content where they're interviewing keepers and finding out what, you know, keepers do and such. And I'm like, hey, that's my podcast. Only I do that all year. So I guess happy National Zookeeper Week to everyone. And just remember here at Ross Safari, it is National Zookeeper Year every year. I'm such a nerd. All right. So, with all of that said, uh, I think it's time to just get to some news of the Zool variety. Zool. Yeah, I said it. Zool. So, um, quick reminder that uh, this is crowdsourced. So, if you happen to see or hear anything that is zoo newsworthy, tag me in it Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Rossafari, TikTok at Rossafari Pod, or email me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. Let's do the thing. All right. So right off the bat, we're going to start off with some really good and exciting news. The Toronto Zoo has announced that Paprika has had her baby red panda. Now, this is the child of Paprika and Suva, who many of you know that I've met and is possibly the most handsome red panda that has ever been a red panda. Um, and And also is the most liked and second most liked picture that I've ever posted on Instagram. Uh, And we're just really excited about this. So uh, Lisa Termini is is still the keeper there. You may remember way back at the beginning of Raw Safari, uh, two years ago, um, Lisa came on and talked about uh, the pandas at the zoo at the time. And – yeah, it's it's just really exciting. This is the third time that a red panda cub has been born at the Toronto Zoo, and uh, I can't wait to see how uh, how it goes, but so far paprika is doing a great job she is a first-time mother and is absolutely doing wonderful uh in being a mother they are not having to pull the cub they are working together with her so that she's raising it but uh, she does allow them to go in and do health checks and such and uh everything is as good as it could be so let's hope that it stays that way and congratulations to lisa and the entire team at the toronto zoo i don't know why my voice just cracked like that Probably because I'm excited about a baby red panda. Oh, and this just in some very late breaking news. Uh, later today, as I'm recording this on Thursday, the Trevor Zoo is poised to announce that Betsy, their female red panda, has also, given birth to a new baby red panda. This is really exciting news. Um, actually, you know, I know that I talked to some people at the Central Park Zoo when uh, Betsy was there, and they weren't entirely sure that she was able to have cubs because uh she she was not doing so with her mate there. Uh, then they moved her to Trevor Zoo on a breeding wreck, and uh, Zhu got the job done. So, uh, there we go. Betsy and Zhu are first time parents, and uh, this is really. Really exciting news as well. Betsy is also doing an incredible job taking care of the cub. Uh, so far, there has been very minimal keeper interaction at all, just giving her some food and giving her some space. Uh, Betsy has the entire indoor and outdoor area of the exhibit. Uh, Zhu has been moved off exhibit for now, though he's still getting lots of love and attention and, and is, you know, being well taken care of, of course. So yeah, the top of this podcast just got doubly exciting as we now have two new baby red pandas in the world. Uh, Yeah, congrats to everyone at Trevor Zoo. And I am so jealous of all of those students that are going to get to uh, have the experience of, of seeing a red panda cub grow up. Yay! And while I'm on the oh-my-goodness-my-favorite-species-keep-being-born train, Potter Park Zoo has announced the birth of baby binturongs. Uh, their mother, Thistle, gave birth to three babies on the 4th of July. Uh, two of the three um, babies are still doing well and thriving. Unfortunately, the third one did pass away in the week following its birth. It was just not healthy from the start. But these two kits are doing incredibly well, and I'm just so excited. Uh, I saw Thistle when when she was just a little baby uh, up at Roger Williams Park Zoo, and it's so cool that you know she's out doing the thing and and making new kits. And I'm so excited. And um, <clears throat> while we're on the subject of baby binturongs, uh, I have to point this out. In their press release, Potter Park Zoo referred to the baby binturongs, which are traditionally called kits, as Bintlets. Bintlets. Y'all, I looked it up. And outside of the Potter Park uh, press release, there are very few places where a baby binturong is found to be called a bintlet. However, this may be one of my favorite words that I've ever heard ever. And so I officially petition all of my Rossifarians to start referring to binturong kits as bintlets. I think that is what we need to do from now on. So congratulations to the Potter Park Zoo team for having bentlets and also coining the term bentlets. Yay. And while we're talking about births, Point Defiance Zoo and Aquarium has officially announced the birth of five critically endangered American red wolf pups. Or wolflets, maybe? No. Okay. Pups. Pups is fine. Anyway, the pups are doing very well. And uh, if you've listened to this podcast, um, you know, I'm kind of obsessed with red wolves and the fact that they desperately need reintroduction into the wild and we have a really small population and they're misunderstood and all the things you've heard me talk about it. And if you haven't, go listen to lots of previous Zoo News episodes. Um, but this is just another beautiful step forward in that whole process, and I'm, I'm really excited about it. So congrats to uh, Point Defiance, and uh, I hope to make it out to your facility someday, hopefully soon. And another species that is critically endangered uh, is the short-tailed nurse shark, and Tennessee Aquarium has recently announced that they have hatched three new short tail nurse shark pups. Sharklets? Eh, this really doesn't work as well with any species as it does with bintlets. Now, this birth is not just important because it's a critically endangered species, but because few facilities actually keep short tail nurse sharks, and uh, the Tennessee Aquarium has the largest breeding group of any public institution in North America. There are currently 20 of the sharks at the Tennessee Aquarium and only 40 total in captivity uh, worldwide. Uh, So, yeah, this is really important, and uh, congrats to everyone at the aquarium. But now, after all those happy births, we have to talk about a couple of uh, newsworthy deaths that happened at zoos in the last week. Uh, First of all, the Birmingham Zoo has lost female lioness Achillei. Uh, This was a tough one because Akili was given a breeding recommendation with a male lion named Josh. And introductions went well. They, you know, used a howdy. They did all the things that you're supposed to do. But when they finally actually put the two lions together, Josh attacked and killed Akili. These are the stories that absolutely break my heart. I feel so much for everyone at the zoo. And, uh, you know, obviously it's wildly important that we breed animals and the SSP does such great work. But uh, at the end of the day, a lion is a lion and you never quite know what's going to happen. And unfortunately, staff can't just run in and break up this Fight when it happens. So, uh, you know, condolences to everyone at Birmingham Zoo. And uh, I hope that Josh is able to maybe settle down with a a different female, or I'll be curious to see what the SSP does. But uh, yeah, this is a tough one. And now we come to what to me is probably the saddest story of all of Zoo News this week. Last week, I shared with you about Zoo Knoxville and uh, the fact that Mother Lion Amara. Was doing really well raising her cub despite the fact that she was repeatedly being sedated to be treated for acute renal deficiency after the birth. Well, on Friday, the same day that episode dropped with that hopeful story, Zoo Knoxville announced that uh, the lion cub has passed away. On July 14th, following another sedation that was necessary for the acute renal deficiency, uh, the cub's mother, Amara, woke up, attacked, and killed her cub. Though the cub had not officially been named at this time, her keepers had requested that the cub be named Zori, which is Swahili for beautiful, and the team at Zoo Knoxville says that is exactly how they will remember her. Condolences to everyone who had to go through that painful experience. And, uh, I hope, hope, hope that Amara is still able to, uh, pull through from her renal issues. And, you know, I have to take a second here to give props to the team at Zoo Knoxville. We talk a lot on this podcast about the need for transparency when it comes to zoos and aquariums and such. And, uh, This is a great example of that. It really is. The team at Zoo Knoxville was very upfront about the mother giving birth, about the mother having renal issues, and about the fact that they were watching and were hopeful that she would continue to be able to be a good mom despite being sedated all the time and that uh, everything looked positive. And then when it took a turn, they were upfront about that, too. I personally believe that they absolutely were making the right choice. Hindsight is always twenty twenty, And had they pulled the cub, yes, it would be here right now. But the best thing for these animals, especially for large predators like lions, is to be raised by their mother whenever possible. And hand-rearing should be a um, last resort only. And uh, that's what Zoo Knoxville believed, and that's what they did. And in this case, it ended up not working out, but it was the right call. Sometimes the right call, can have sad consequences. Uh, but I just want to say that I'm really impressed by the transparency that they showed from the beginning with this entire story. A troop of chimpanzees has been infected with respiratory syncytial virus, known as RSV, to people who don't want to try to stumble through that repeatedly, uh, but appear to be doing okay. RSV is a disease that uh, humans and other primates get, and it basically has um, cold-like symptoms and is actually the most common cause of bronchiolitis and pneumonia amongst infants under one year old. Treatment for the disease is simply to rest, take medication and drink a lot of fluids, which is real easy to do in humans, but is a lot harder to make sure that chimps do. And uh, so the zoo, which is in um, South Australia, is currently doing their best to take care of the chimps and uh, have had no fatalities at this time and hopefully will continue not to. Interestingly, RSV has been really down in primate populations in captivity over the last couple of years because all of the steps being taken to help prevent COVID are also helping prevent that using, um, you know, protective gear and such. So uh, it's it's kind of sad and interesting to see another outbreak of this, but uh, everything should be OK, friends. Everything should be OK on that one. OK, so after a couple of sad stories, let's get to a cool one. Uh, and I do mean cool because it's about polar bears. Uh, the two female polar bears, Anana and Aurora, that live at the Columbus Zoo have been artificially inseminated in the hopes of, well, obviously having cubs. Uh, One of the fun little things about this is even though this was the Columbus Zoo, if you look at the pictures of the procedure that they posted, guess who's chilling there? Our good friend, Dr. Aaron Curry from the Cincinnati Zoo. If you haven't heard that episode yet, get off your butt. Once you finish this one and go listen to it because you are missing out. Uh, And yeah, it's just it's really cool to see someone that I'm I'm friends with helping out with this kind of thing. The semen was collected from Lee, who currently lives at the Louisville Zoo, but did live at the Columbus Zoo from 2018 to 2020. And if you're keeping track, yes, that means that Lee is the father of Kulu, the uh, cub that they had two years ago with Aurora. Now, if you listened to the Dr. Curry episode, you already know this, but uh, there is no pregnancy test for polar bears. So they did the artificial insemination, and now they will have to wait until November or December to see if a cub pops out because they cannot tell until that time whether either or both bears are pregnant. That is one of the main things Dr. Curry is working on. So, uh... Maybe she should up her game. No, I'm kidding. I, I pick on her for that when we when we hang out. It's it's all good. It's all good. But yeah, make sure you check out that episode and make sure that uh, you get yourself to the Columbus Zoo to see these polar bears, especially this winter, if there might be cubs. Columbian Park Zoo has created quite a stir in a positive way amongst the... Uh, can you call it that? Is it creating a stir if you do it in a good way? I don't know. I like to like you stir things like you, you stir soup to get it. I don't know. Anyway, Columbian Park Zoo in Indiana has um gotten a lot of positive attention, which may or may not be creating a stir uh, amongst the zookeeper community this week, because as I mentioned in the top, it is National Zookeeper Week, and uh, they decided to celebrate by focusing on um, the theme for this year, which is healthy keepers, healthy animals, and uh, they're really focusing on all of the challenges faced by zookeepers. A lot of stuff that you hear about on here, compassion fatigue, people being total jerks, all that good stuff. So for the week, they spent time posting every day about what you can do as a visitor to the zoo to help give the animal care team the gratitude and respect they deserve. I think this is a really cool uh, thing to do for National Zookeeper Week, and apparently so do a lot of keepers because I have seen this stuff shared by many, many, many zookeepers. So that's just really cool. Uh, I'm I'm really impressed by this, this take on it and the fact that it seems like management at that zoo knows that things are tough for their keepers and want to make it better. So uh, I, I just really respect that. That's that's the best way to celebrate National Zookeeper Week, although pizza parties are good too, y'all. Oh, real quick update to another story from a few weeks ago. Uh, remember when I told you that Zoo Miami was opening a turtle hospital and they had released their first uh, sea turtle patient after healing it and rehabilitating it. Well, it turns out that when they did that, the hospital wasn't even officially open yet. It was still being worked on and uh, they just took in that turtle and saved it anyway. So now Zoo Miami's Sea Turtle Hospital and Rehabilitation Center is officially opened. Yay, though slightly anticlimactic yay because they've already saved a turtle and announced it. But now seriously, this is really cool and I can't wait to see what Zoo Miami does to save sea turtles uh, down the line. The Birch Aquarium at Scripps, which is a uh, an aquarium located in San Diego, near the San Diego Zoo, and even closer to my favorite Phil's Coffee Shop in the area, uh, recently announced the opening of Baster Family Little Blue Penguin Exhibit. So that's exciting. Uh, there aren't actually many facilities that house little blues in the country, and so having another wonderful... Uh, Aquarium that does is really good news for this species and also is one other amazing type of animal that you can see when you visit San Diego. As if there aren't enough there already, goodness. And while I'm guessing that living in San Diego will make those little blue penguins very uh, easygoing, that is not the case for all penguins and also some otters, especially some in Japan. Now, whenever you do a behind the scenes tour at any aquarium in the U.S., you are going to hear that the food that is fed to the animals is, quote, restaurant grade quality And that it's literally the same stuff that we get to eat at seafood restaurants. Or at least y'all get to eat at seafood restaurants. I don't eat seafood. However, the Hakone and Aquarium in Japan is having a big problem right now because the costs of food are so high in Japan that uh, they have switched away from their horse mackerel that they normally serve, their penguins and otters, to a cheaper kind of mackerel. And the otters and penguins are not having it. There are actually some, kind of funny to watch, although it is sad that this is happening, uh, videos out there of the penguins literally taking the mackerel in their beaks and then rejecting it. And if uh, the person trying to feed them holds out a different fish, the penguins just turn their heads, kind of looking disgusted. It's it's quite the sight. Fortunately, the aquarium staff are not acting like the stereotypical mother in a sitcom who will make their child sit at the table with no food until they eat what is in front of them and instead have been able to buy enough of the high quality mackerel for the animals that are rejecting it and feed that to them while the other penguins and otters in the family that aren't bothered by the lower quality stuff get that instead which kind of seems rude but you know that's anthropomorphizing and that's okay And last but not least in our Zoo News segment, there is some controversy brewing over the Dublin Zoo in Dublin, Ireland. Now, uh, the Dublin Zoo has always been considered a very good zoo. They are accredited by Biazza, IAZA, and Waza, uh, which are all great accrediting bodies and highly respected. Um, Unfortunately, a gorilla named Harry passed away at the zoo Um, recently. Harry was in his 20s, and gorillas can live into their 40s. And a keeper at the zoo... Came out as a whistleblower, uh, initially did not say um, who she was, but has since come publicly, and announced that the Dublin Zoo basically ignored all kinds of um, concerns about Harry's health and that they probably could have saved Harry's life if they had taken her seriously when she pointed out that she believed he was sick and not doing well. The Dublin Zoo has denounced the story and claimed that they have done nothing wrong and that their. Animal Welfare standards are being met regularly. Uh, There is some interesting stuff. Uh, The keeper did update ZIMS, the zoological information management system, which is what many, many zoos use to kind of talk about their animals with all of their keepers and their staff and each other. And uh, there are notes that this keeper was concerned about the health of the animal in ZIMS for a couple of months before he passed away. However, the Dublin Zoo points out that these are just snapshots and they don't paint the full picture of what was going on. The keeper in question admits that she has never loved an animal like she loves Henry and even has a tattoo of the date of his death on her body now. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting because it's it's hard to say, you know what actually happened, and uh, there's an investigation ongoing, and I will be keeping an eye on it and just wanted to make y'all aware that this is a thing that is happening right now. Actually, you know what? I don't like ending on a sad or weird news story for this segment. So I would like to announce that our friends at the Central Florida Zoo and Botanical Gardens uh, have a place called the Orient Center for Indigo Conservation, uh, where they raise indigo snakes, which are non-venomous, and um, they have recently released 25 of these snakes into Andalusia's Kanuka National Forest. So this is just another great example of uh, a wonderful AZA-accredited zoo doing in-situ conservation work and helping grow a population of, in this case, threatened, not endangered snakes, but but still, snakes that need help or else they will be endangered. So uh, awesome work to the Central Florida Zoo team. And also, what a great story to lead us to... Stereotypical Here to bring it to conservation news. All right, so um thousands and thousands of years ago, wild bison went extinct in the wild in the United Kingdom. And now they have been unextinctified. I think that's the right word. Anyway, uh earlier last week, three bison were released into the Kent countryside in Britain for the first time in thousands of years. The hope here is that the uh, natural behavior of the animals will transform a dense commercial pine forest into a vibrant natural woodland. Uh, The bison tend to eat bark, which will kill some trees, and because they are so large, uh, it will open up trails through the forest, which will let light spill onto the forest floor, and um, also they love to roll around and create dust baths, which will create more open ground areas. All of this should allow new plants, insects, lizards, birds, and bats to thrive, uh, this is known as the Wilder Blean Project, and it's an experiment to see how well the bison can act as natural ecosystem engineers and uh, help out with the rewilding of this area in the UK. I find this absolutely fascinating. Uh, it's it's a reintroduction, which, you know, we love, but it's also a, a reintroduction that isn't focused on the animal, but on what the animal can do to the land around it. And also, it should help climate change because natural woodlands are better at uh, absorbing carbon and all that jazz than... Um, than what's currently going on in the commercial pine forest. So yeah, there are a lot of pluses to this, but uh, I can't think of a time that I've heard of a reintroduction where the focus wasn't on, you know, the reintroduction. Pretty cool. Okay, so this next story is going to get me in trouble because it's in the state that I pronounce two different ways and get told by people both are wrong. So wildlife traffickers in Oregon or Oregon, depending on what you think it is, have actually been sentenced to help researchers study wildlife crime. The first trafficker involved in this program is named Yuan Shi, and um, she had trafficked a lot of turtles into Eugene, Oregon, and then got busted. And um, after he was busted, he was sentenced to five years probation, a $15,000 fine, uh, which gets paid directly to a federal fund combating wildlife crime, which I thought was pretty cool, and then $2,000 in restitution to groups that care for turtles intercepted by law enforcement and 500 hours of community service. But unlike normal community service, where you just have to go out and serve the community, um... The judge said that at least a portion of that time had to be spent with a professor at the University of Maryland who focuses on understanding and preventing wildlife crime. Uh, For she, that meant scouring Facebook, WeChat, and elsewhere for posts advertising illegal wildlife products, then recording his findings in a database shared with Gore and her research partners. This is a really cool idea, and the the hope here—and it's now been done with two other people as well— is that uh, by making these people understand the effect of their wildlife crime, that they will not only stop doing it, but because they have connections to the uh, the, the criminal underbelly that does this, will also help break other cases. Uh, I think this is a really cool idea. I think, you know, I'm all about educating about animals and and sharing the information. And uh, if you can reach these people, then that's a, that's a great way to do that. And that's a great way to cut down on illegal trafficking, which obviously really helps conservation. So I've done a couple stories already on the uh, H5N1 avian influenza virus that has been traveling kind of all throughout the United States and different zoos at different times keep having to pull their birds off exhibit. I'm, I'm pretty sure the San Diego Zoo has done that recently. Um, meanwhile, some of the birds on the East Coast that were off exhibit are now back on exhibit as the, uh, the virus seems to want to travel. Uh, anyway, an interesting side effect of this is that there has been a large number of harbor seal mortalities in the St. Lawrence estuary in Quebec that have been associated with infections from the avian influenza virus. I mentioned once before on this podcast that there was some thought that some animals were getting infected other than birds, and it seems like these harbor seals are one of those species. How bad is it, you ask? Or you don't ask what I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, The number of harbor seals found dead so far in that area represents an increase of about eight times the annual average of recent years. So pretty darn bad. Um, and they were able to analyze uh, by they I mean scientists for the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative uh, and they were able to figure out that it is in fact the avian influenza virus that is causing a lot of these issues. So, yeah, that's happening. And uh, this virus is still one that's a little out of our grasp. Uh, We don't really have a cure. We don't really know how to stop it. It keeps moving and it seems like occasionally it manages to take out a species other than a bird for a little bit. So uh, just something to be keeping an eye on for sure. Malaysian authorities have announced recently that they seized a container including 220 pounds of pangolin scales, 13,227 pounds of elephant tusks, 55 pounds of rhino horns, and 661 pounds of animal skulls, bones, and horns beyond those. Investigations are ongoing, and uh, they're not entirely sure where these animals were meant to be shipped, but uh, this is just a friendly reminder that wildlife trafficking is still wildly out of control, and a large portion of the, the people that are trying to buy this stuff do it because they believe that they have medicinal properties, although modern science has disproven that fact. Uh, a lot of people think these medicinal properties uh, will especially affect uh, virility. So um, pangolin scales instead of Viagra, I suppose. And uh, that's just not true and is also really dumb. I Why men are uh, – I hate it. Anyway, um, just a friendly reminder that this is a a real issue that's still going on. We talk so much about climate change and deforestation and all that stuff. But hey, we have poaching to contend with, too, as we try to save the animal species on the planet. Yay? No, very much not. Yay. In a You know, one of the things that I think is the hardest for us to envision sometimes in the United States is the concept of human-wildlife conflict and just how in lots of parts of the world— People and big animals live together. We talk about it a lot, but it's it's still always kind of shocking, uh, which I think is why I had so many people in the last two weeks send me this story. Uh, in Thailand, a mother elephant had to get CPR after she and her calf were trapped in the drain of a golf course. Uh, so yeah, this was really interesting and shows how amazing wildlife vets can be. Um, A uh, one-year-old calf had slipped into a concrete drain at a golf course uh, during monsoon rains that were taking place in Thailand, and the 10-year-old mother stood guard over the calf, trying to protect it as it was stuck. Unfortunately, some of the things she tried to protect it from were the human rescue workers that came to try to save the calf. The workers realized that the only way they would be able to rescue the calf was to tranquilize the mother, which they did. But unfortunately, uh, she hit her head on the edge of the concrete structure, became unconscious and then fell in to the drain. A truck-mounted cherry picker crane was used to pull the mother out, and then uh, the vets realized she wasn't breathing, so they climbed on top of her and performed CPR while a large construction digger was clearing away earth so the calf could climb out of the hole. It took over three hours, but at the end of the day, both the mother and baby were healthy and saved, which is pretty awesome. And it's just, it's crazy to think about. You know, I'm not much of a golfer, but I have been on the links more than a few times. And the closest I've ever come to human-wildlife conflict is one of the times that I hit a really bad shot and my ball went near the water and landed by some geese. And I tried to go hit it, and the geese let it be known that that was their ball then. And, uh the geese one. But yeah, it's, it's just a different world outside of the U.S., and I think it's so important for us to remember that as we look at ways to conserve animals all around the globe and reach the people all around the globe. Troops of chimpanzees that live on the savannah have been known to dig wells when water is not nearby. However, for the first time ever, a troop of chimpanzees has been found to be digging wells in the rainforest. It is believed that one female chimpanzee went to this troop from another troop that had been digging wells in the savannah. And so far, only female chimps have been seen digging wells in the rainforest. This is not surprising, as in general, when it comes to primates, women are smarter and better at everything than men. And yes, I know humans are primates. I stand by what I said. Uh, and so, yeah, the question is why are they doing this, especially when it's not even the dry season for the rainforest? It's the wet season in a rainforest. Well, the thought is that there's so much gross stuff in our water now, in our rain in particular. We've all heard the term acid rain, and just in general, there's a lot of ickiness in the sky, again, being very scientific with my terms today. Uh, And so it is believed that they are digging for groundwater that is cleaner and thus healthier for them and, uh, and their troop. It's really fascinating, and there's still not a lot known about why this is happening, but it's... Really crazy that it is, and uh, I'm sure that researchers are going to keep looking into it. And speaking of using tools and doing that kind of thing, um, researchers have found the first example ever of a non-primate mammal farming its food. Measurements made on a field containing burrows of pocket gophers suggest that they don't just harvest the longleaf pine roots that grow into their homes, but they actually cultivate them. The tunnels are continuously modified, reworked, and fertilized by the gophers. Now, there is some debate about what constitutes farming and what doesn't. However, it is clear that the gophers know what they're doing when it comes to cultivating these roots. And not only do the gophers cultivate the crops, but they defend the ones that they're cultivating. However, they don't defend other food sources around them that are just readily available. So yeah, this is definitely something that the gophers are doing intentionally and care about enough to defend them. The debate only remains on whether you can technically call this agriculture, because some people say that you have to plant seeds in order for it to be agriculture, while other people say that just, you know, cultivating the crop is agriculture. I'm giving this one to the Gardening Gophers, which I hope eventually becomes a team mascot somewhere. I recently spoke to you all about the cyberbullying that was happening to the main veterinary medical center over the surrendering of a dog, and I explained all of that in a previous episode and in my special edition about vets and what they're facing right now. If you haven't listened, please do. But I did want to follow up and let you know that NOMV, which is Not One More Vet, the organization I mentioned in that podcast episode, partnered with the Maine Veterinary Medical Center to create a resource for veterinary clinics that are uh, finding themselves in similar positions. So um, yeah, I think it's really cool that there is now an official NOMV Cyberbullying Task Force, and uh, you can check that out by going to nomv.org to find out more. And last but not least this week in other news, a family in the UK was surprised to be delivered their previously missing beagle with a third-place ribbon from the dog show. The five-year-old beagle mix named Bonnie escaped through an open gate on uh, her family's property— And luckily was found by somebody who just happened to be taking his dogs to a dog show. The gentleman was named John Wilmer. And since he was already running late for the show, he just quickly picked up Bonnie and took her to the event with his canines. Uh, He did post a photo of Bonnie on Facebook to announce that he had found the dog. And the owners saw the post and were able to get in touch with uh, John. After they had scheduled a post-show reunion, John decided on a whim to enter Bonnie into the competition, and she took third place in the Best Rescue Dog competition. I think that is absolutely amazing and adorable, and uh, yeah, it's it's really cute to see pictures of the mum reunited with the dog wearing a third-place ribbon. So congrats to Bonnie, and great job, John animal oh, animal animal holidays animal oh, animal animal holidays hey all right so today is friday july 22nd which means it is technically still coral reef awareness week and national zookeeper week for one day more after this one and then the 23rd is save the vaquita day and also starts moth week And then the 26th is International Mangrove Conservation Day. And those are your animal holidays for the week. All right, y'all. Well, that's it. Another week of Zoo News is done. And I'd like to say thanks to Laura Shank, my Red Panda-level patron, and to the following people who contributed stories this week. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Ren Howell, Laura Shank, and Andrew King. Now make sure you keep your eyes on your feed as I'm going to be releasing a season three and life update little mini bonus episode soon. And uh, I've got some cool stuff that I want to share with y'all. Nothing crazy uh, with the pod, but some stuff. And uh, it should be a good time. And then uh, we'll see you back here next week for the start of Raw Safari season three. Pretty exciting. And remember, friends, if uh, you ever run into newsy credits and they are babies, then they are newsy creditlets. Man, this really does not work. The safari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray.